know, continue working and serving the people because happiness of others and peace in others is something that no money can put to it. Hello, welcome to the Handful of Leaves podcast. So we will be getting up close and personal with the founders of Handful of Leaves, getting to know their journey with Buddhism, their personal life up and down, and to understand why the both of them come together to found HOL. Hi, I'm Kai Sin. I co-founded HOL with Heng Shen. I'm an introvert. <laughs> That's one thing to know. I run an agency in my day job. This is something that I'm doing on a voluntary basis. Hi everyone, my name is Heng Shen. I work in the finance industry. I did HOL because I felt there's a gap in the Buddhist landscape. So I got Kaising into this wild roller coaster to do a handful of leaves. But a bit more myself, I enjoy working out daily, just sweating it all out, especially after one tough day of work. That's about me. I must say, Shren is everyone's personal fitness coach, dragging everyone to gym and making sure we clock our workout hours in. I think Kai Sing has also been a victim of that. Oh, yes. Supportive <laughs> victim. So yes, let's know a little bit more about your journey with Buddhism. For me, I started at Buddhism, brought up in a family that's pretty much nominal Buddhist. So it means that every start of the year, you go to the temple to pray and all of that. And then you just offer joysticks. And then the temple, very nice. They give you a pencil and ruler. Okay, uh, very, very got cute. that before. <laughs> yeah, it's basically to be smart. And hopefully the ruler help you pass your exams. Is that why I'm not as smart? <laughs> I thought the ruler is for your friends to whack you. <laughs> I mean, if you don't study hard, then yeah, it's a great mechanism there. So for me, growing up nominal Buddhist, I went to a mission school. And then that made me question like, what am I doing? Maybe it's cooler to join Sunday service and stuff. So I experimented a lot of different religions. Then it came to a point when I was 13, and there was a newspaper article advertising this monk, talking about ghost man. It was actually this monk called Ajahn Brahm. And I was like, hey, very weird. Eh? There's a Caucasian monk talking about ghost man. So my mother said, you want to go? Then I was like, just go. And then I found myself straight away diving into Buddhism because there was a group called Buddhist Fellowship Youth. They had bowling, they had singing, karaoke. And as a 13-year-old, I think that was really fun. Go there for like, the friendship. And then after that, started learning Buddhism, taking it off all the way to where I am now. Wow, I love how from a nominal Buddhist, all these little seeds that were planted by the temple, the Amomang, your mom, really just brought you into understanding the Dharma. I'm very curious, what made you dedicated to giving back to Buddhism? Yeah, so I started off as a kid that was really impulsive and also angry at times because I did karate and I would actually try out the different techniques. I would fight with fellow classmates <laughs> in secondary school oh and in primary school. I wanted to just charge through life. Everything must go my way. And the Buddha thought that not everything goes your way, right? A lot of things are outside of our control. And that change that I saw in myself improved the relationships around the people all around me. And that's something that I want to bring across to people around the world and help make people's life really more light and less dark. Yeah. Mm, and it's beautiful how it's all started from yourself. You noticed the change and that's how you wanted to give back to other people. I'm very curious if you had something similar with Shen as well oh, in terms for, of your journey. Oh, for sure. So Shen was the one who brought me to Buddhism. <laughs> He's like my queer and I always say that. Wow. Yeah. And Buddhist Fellowship is where I started. We met in an orientation camp in Pali. And he very good at recruiting. La. So he's like, oh, you like meditation, right? There's a retreat coming up. So I'm like, sure. And what stood out to me was, first, I never knew that meditation can be taught. I thought just breathe only, man. Just sit there, close your eyes. And I remember it was a one-day retreat and it felt really good. So I thought there must be something deeper to that. And there were a lot of talks around misconceptions of Buddhism. Mm. And it blew my mind because being a nominal Buddhist, my mom and my dad, they would pray 
I would always go to Guanima Temple at the Waterloo <laughs> Street. I didn't get pen and ruler, <laughs> but I would ask Guanima to bless me for good results. Yeah, okay lah, can pass. <laughs> but I realized there's something more to that. So when I got to know about the misconception, it blew my mind because I realized that, hey, what I was taught from young, I thought that was Buddhism, but mm -hmm. it's the complete opposite from what the Buddha taught, right? Rites and ritual, it is a good form of increasing our faith, but it's not the thing. It's really about releasing ourselves from suffering. And then I started volunteering as a youth leader. So again, he recruited me to be oh. a part of the EXCO member. <laughs> yeah, just constantly serving. It feels like a crime to not give back because I've benefited so much. Uh, That's a I, very huge statement to make, actually. <laughs> a crime to <laughs> Really, really. It's like you've benefited from someone or something. And then you see other people who can also benefit from it. And you just turn a blind eye. Like, how could you do that? Right? Mm. The analogy would be if you see a kitten that is injured on the street, are you just going to walk away? No. <laughs> yeah. So when people ask me for help, then I would say, okay, yeah, sure. Why, why not? And I don't see myself doing anything other than serving the Dhamma. It's like the most meaningful thing that anyone can do, I feel. Yeah. Oh, I think it's interesting you brought up the presentation that Shren made about the misconceptions about Buddhism because mm. that was when I had an aha moment when Shen presented that exact same deck and I actually reached out to say could I use this presentation and share it to the KL community because mm. it was that impactful I was like wow it really changed my mind as well about what Buddhism is about Fun fact as well, I was also introduced to the Buddhist community by Shren <laughs> through one of the camps, the Pushing Boundaries camp, and that's how I, I got in touch with all the other communities. So thanks, Shren. Yes, no another fun fact, Cheryl, she came all the way from Malaysia yes. to Singapore for the camp. Yeah. I'm based in Singapore. So really kudos to you. And now you're residing in Singapore. So. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I love how our journeys are all kind of interconnected in some way, all these little seeds that planted. But what brought you guys together to actually work on HOL? Do you have to ask the brain behind <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> so, I think Hevel is really much a COVID baby. We actually talk about many ideas. So, over the years, me and Kai Sing did many, many random stuff in the Buddhist community from selling stickers, it's selling t-shirts, shirt, just to like make Buddhism cool again. So, a start point for Handful of Leaves is actually many years before. But the little thing that pushes you across is COVID. Vesak was coming and there were a lot of Buddhist organizations that were really optimistic that they could still do Vesak Day. So we decided to just curate this directory that allows people to achieve seek out where they want to go. So that's how we actually get the emails. Then after we get the emails, we get the data of how many people visit our website, how many people go. Then we started to curate how can we build a resource for people to anchor their practice on. And that's where we found like there's a huge gap because in the Buddhist world, you will only have the option of Dhamma book or listen to one and a half hours of Dhamma talk and you have no clue what is Kama, what is Vipaka, all these random Pali words. And we felt like there's a gap and we said, yeah, let's do this. Let's give it a trial. We do user testing, all the funky tech stuff. Yeah, coming together. That's how we kind of started. And what made you decide to work with him? Oh, I'm super aligned with the goal and also I feel an urge to fix this problem. So the Visa directory was kind of like a band-aid a very short-term solution to a bigger problem, right? Yes, we direct people to different online visa events, but what is next? And just now he mentioned about Pali words and 
things that are not very relevant or accessible to people, at least from a language standpoint, or you have to go through maybe puja, which is mm. chanting, the rituals, in order to then get the gem of the teaching. Some people, they don't even know, well, what am I chanting? Mm. Uh, is this a cult? You know, like, why does it sound so foreign? So boring. Uh, yeah, so... If we do it in a very traditional way, I think the barrier to entry for people to understand the true teaching is very high. When we were talking about the directory, we said that actually what is bigger than this uh, content, we are actually quite lagging behind in terms of the Buddhist scene. We don't have much content on the net. Even if we have, maybe the website would look very 1990s. And it really takes a person who is truly seeking to be able to get past that, to mm. then uncover the golden nuggets behind it. So what Handful of Leaf really stands for is practical Buddhist wisdom for a happier life because you really want to make it very relevant and accessible to what is happening in the day-to-day -day challenges that you don't usually hear of in mm. the temple. Yeah. So for instance, the taboo subject is premarital sex. Is that a misconduct? Because people feel guilty about it and there are genuine questions around. And I think it is a little bit more tricky for monks and nuns or monastic members to talk about such things uh, or even down to uh, how do you take care of your mental well-being at work toxic workplaces mm. so i'm very aligned with that just like yeah sure let's do this and here we are three years later hey i was like your toddler that's three years old do you think that the problem that you're trying to solve from when you first started is still the same i i would agree that's yes and no we plug the gap it's a ship that has many holes and you're like hammering in one like after three years and mm. then you look behind you and there's more holes Oh no! <laughs> it's like a whack-a-mole where everything yeah. keeps coming up. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. So I, I guess the first hole that we were trying to fix uh, on the ship was how do we get more reach so that people who are truly searching would be able to find us. So mm. we have social media and people do find us organically on Google as well. Then the, the next hole that we are trying to fix right now is okay, now we are volunteering it takes a lot of time and mm. also a lot of effort. I mean, you will know because you're, you're doing the podcast with me, right? Like transcribing and stuff. It takes a lot of effort. It's like a full-time job on its own. Then it becomes an operational challenge that we have to fix. How can we sustain this in the long run so that the ship can continue to sail? Mm. Then there are more problems when we engage with our community. They start saying, hey, can you talk about this particular topic? They're like, okay, we are not that experience about this, then what should we do? We invite experts and constantly experimenting with different ways of providing practical Buddhist wisdom for a happier life. And you agreed with her. Do you want to share more? Yeah, so I think the whole idea why I think that there's relative success is we found actually quite a, quite a number of individuals finding us through Instagram and then after that beginning their Buddhist journey by joining other Buddhist organizations out there and they're really actively serving. So to me, that's a very good validation that our funnel works, bringing people into the Dhamma and giving them opportunities to practice. Where I say that no, we haven't achieved that is because there's still so much to be done there's still so much media resources that we can leverage on and we just don't have the bandwidth, the manpower to actively push for it. Like for example, doing video podcasts like this is like a rarity, right? It's so hard to get the resources in place, but we know that that will increase our reach. Mm. Yeah, so these are the things that we still underpenetrate the market. Yeah. I think, of course, there's a lot more potential for HOL to grow, but don't mm. underestimate how far you've come. Yesterday, I was just speaking to a colleague randomly, and she's like, hey, I know you are doing a podcast. I ran into your podcast. I was like, scanning my brain. Did I tell her? 
I don't think so. So I asked her, how do you find it? She said, oh, I was just looking for mindfulness content and I came across this podcast. Oh, and I was SEO. like, wow, yeah, SEO. Yeah, it's, very, it's very heartening. <laughs> it's very heartening to know someone that you don't promote this, just found it and hopefully found it beneficial as well. And I, I think it's also heartening in terms of the impact we create. So some fun facts about how we evolve, right? The visuals that you see on our website and our social media, many of them are created by a volunteer. And she started without knowing us. She was a reader of our content and she found it really interesting. And then her friend was like, hey, you know, they're looking for volunteer designers. Do you want to sign up? And here she is. I think she's been volunteering for over a year, right? Yeah. Yeah, so shout out to Yoshan. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) And I think we have a lot of other examples of readers, listeners who just benefited from all of the content and they Mm -hmm. just want to help and want to give back. Very similar to how you started as well. You benefited from it personally and you want to share. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have mentioned that you all met each other long ago. So it's about what? 13 13 years? 13 years, yeah. Yeah, so let's get a bit more personal. Mm. (laughs) Let's see how well they all really know each other. So these are very basic questions. I'll ask something about Heng Shen that Kai Xing has to answer and Heng Shen will validate whether it's correct or not. Sure. Very, very basic one. What is Heng Shen's favourite (laughs) colour? Red. Not bad. Okay, correct. And what is Kai Xing's favourite colour? I think it's also red. I think I know why. It's, it's hard to guess because I, I don't wear the colour. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you a hint. Uh, it's something to do with monastic colours. Oh, okay. Orange. <laughs> Close. If you dilute it a little bit more. Yellow. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. That's like so off. <laughs> okay. Guys, you're getting, you're getting exclusive content here. For the first time in 13 years, Trent finds out about Kai Sing's favourite colour. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> and next one. What is Heng Shen's favourite I mean, he's a vegetarian. I suppose his favourite food will be related to tofu. (laughs) Mocking tofu. No, I like noodles. uh. It's very generic. It was supposed to be like very carby. uh. Like like, tofu noodles? Tofu noodles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Tofu. She's just trying trying really hard now. (laughs) And what about hers? Wow. Hor fun. I hate hor fun. (laughs) Oh, no. He does not know me. So, I don't like Hoffa, it makes me nauseous. I only ate it when I'm in the mood. Wow! <laughs> you can't get more off than that. We only know each other working style. <laughs> Cuisine, maybe I would say Indian food. I love Indian food, but no, that's not my favourite. It's something to do with the colour, yellow. It's something to do with Thailand as well, let me give you that. <laughs> Thai. Oh, it's yellow and part Thai. Oh my goodness. Okay, before HOL doesn't exist after this call, I will reveal the answer. Kai Sing's favourite food is actually mango sticky rice. <laughs> and it's also hard to guess because I seldom eat it. Uh, for practical reasons, mango sticky rice in Singapore is not, not nice and very expensive. So yeah, it's it it's in high calories as well, so please watch your waistline. <laughs> We are not fat shaming over here, so I just want to make it. It's okay to <laughs> indulge moderately. Yeah, don't get diabetes. Yeah, the fitness guru. <laughs> Okay, so now let's move into um, the second part of this conversation, which will be a little bit more about the challenges and difficulties running a handful of leaves. I think you mentioned it was almost like a full-time job. Why do you dedicate so much time? Where do you find the passion, energy and drive to run this on top of your day job, 
other personal commitments and everything else? Well, the short answer is that you don't have a life. (laughs) 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 Yeah, yeah. So, um... So I feel there's always a lot of time leakage in our day-to-day life. I'm always very happy to see where I'm wasting time, be it on commuting or Instagram and stuff, then that's where your willpower dies. So these are all the pockets of time you can actually find in your day-to-day life. So that's one part. Motivation, I guess, is the fact that there are a lot of people backing us right now on a monthly basis, sponsoring all the different things that we do together. To me, that keeps me going. And the people saying that they appreciate our content, not that we are just throwing up trashy content, mm. Then the motivation dies very fast. But the fact that people say, hey, this actually touches me where I really needed it right now, then that makes you say, I'll continue working and serving the people because happiness of others and peace in others is something that no money can put to it. When you really see the impact there and the lives that you touch, this doesn't become just numbers. You really remember, wow, these are the people that you have served. Yeah, quite similar for me as well. It's in hindsight that I feel, oh, wow, the work that I've done has touched people. But when I'm doing the work, I don't really think much. I just do. So it's pretty much like, if I'm free, I'm doing Dhamma work. <laughs> it's, it never felt to me like a chore. Uh, unless, p- perhaps when it gets very, very stressful, when I have too much on my plate, then I would feel like I need to be doing something else. But when I'm doing Dhamma work, I just do it. And it feels very fulfilling. I'm, I'm actually enjoying the entire process. So it feels very natural for me to find time. Or time just naturally appears. Over time also, when we hear about success stories and people that we do not know randomly sponsor us items mm. or subscription uh, online, uh, you can visit our support page uh, as little as $10 per month. <laughs> <laughs> then it, it becomes a, a different level of motivation because you can't just do this because you feel like doing it. People truly see the value and you have to live up to that. Maybe there's also some form of pressure to not want to disappoint people. Mm. But it can get unhealthy. Uh, So that's a separate story altogether. We need to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I was just having a conversation. I've not told Hengshen about this, but I have a conversation with one of the sisters. We are seriously talking about the future of Handful of Weeds. We are doing this on a voluntary basis, but it almost feels like a full-time job, right? The conditions are now right because our, our job is relatively stable. It's not like we have to OT or life is not too stressful. So the conditions are right now. But... We're not so sure what would happen in 2024. So I had this conversation with a sister, who's the, the mum of the crew behind the camera. And I was just sharing with her some of the challenges we might face and that we don't want to disappoint sponsors because we can't just like slack off and not put in our work when people are trusting us with their money. And she gave very good piece of advice to say, what makes you think that people are expecting you to do X, Y, and Z just because oh, they have contributed. Maybe they have contributed because they found value in the articles that they read or the content and they say, hey, let me support, but they don't think too much about it. This I cannot validate. So if you are a sponsor, please let us know if you have expectations. But we, we have been having ongoing discussion about like we had to be transparent. Let's create uh, an annual report to show people where the funds are going because we truly care about this and we want people to care about this together with us, somebody has to keep us accountable, basically. Yes. Yeah. So I'm not too sure whether that leaks into an unhealthy level of stress or pressure because those are assumptions that we make. I think the turning point is, she kind of questioned, are you sacrificing your life aspiration just because of this assumed expectation that people have? So that was like, I mean, in our separate lives and including yours as well, we, we do have things 
that are gonna unfold in 2024 and handful of these running this is gonna be quite a big consideration when you make those decisions yeah. mm. so and it's very <laughs> yes i'm processing because it's a lot that you have shared and it's very multifaceted right mm. because it started out as a project to help people but then now when you actually have people really benefiting from this and endorsing and supporting this then it becomes like a lot of burden on you as well and of course we are only humans as much as we can optimize the time leakage there are times where we can feel stress or burnout as well mm. i'm wondering if there was a moment in this three years journey where you felt like HOL is not going to work. I just want to give up. The first part, yes. Giving up, no. I'm not sure about you. I managed the pipelines for like articles, right? So I, I think there were certain moments where we were two weeks away from having no articles or no content published. And those are the moments where you're like, I think we're going to die here and run out of content. There are moments, I won't say give up, but maybe like pull back a bit of production. But then we realized that some people have told me that they actually bookmark our page. I was just like, cannot give up lah. But it's also very hard to find articles and find different content angles. So I think for me, I feel it more in the sense of like, wow, I want to give up kind of thing. But of course, never lah. Like we, Luckily, we, thank you for <laughs> holding on. <laughs> yeah. I agree on the, the latter part. Uh, I've never thought of giving up because I won't give up my mind. I mean, the work will probably manifest itself in a different way, a different way of giving back. But in terms of it will never work, I think it's also similar to pipeline issue because it's very dependent on our daily commitments, right? Mm. So let's say if I am down, I fell sick and I didn't batch enough content, then what's going to happen? It's not recommended, but for real, both of us, if we are sick, we'll still be doing handful of this work <laughs> or like Dama work. Uh, she was even doing it when she was uh, hospitalized for uh, what's red dough, red, red yeah. Spin you know? yeah. And she was like in the hospital. It's, it's the most conducive environment because you're on, on your bed and then food is served. Yeah. You don't have to spend time anywhere else. But please don't go to spin class to get red dough to get time off work. Uh, I don't <laughs> yeah, recommend it's it. True. Yeah, please yeah. take care of your health. <laughs> yes, but spin is good. <laughs> Another endorsement. I love all this like plug. <laughs> not not a sponsored ad, just say. No, but I'm actually very curious because how do you know you are not pushing yourself to the extreme? Mm. Because sometimes when you feel like it's for the good of a lot of people, I have to do it because I don't want to let people down as well. But how do you know you are taking care of yourself adequately as well? What is that balance? For me, is I try to meditate every day. So I try to meditate twice a day. If I start to meditate once a day, then okay, something's not going as well you know you're actually close to pushing yourself over the edges when you actually see a lot of frustration a lot of anger arise mm-hmm. and because the mindfulness is there it's actually able to catch but once your mindfulness is anemic is weak then it will not be able to catch the deformance then you know you're actually close to the burning out point really so I think for me that's the telltale sign when you get frustrated at things that wouldn't usually frustrate you when you're doing stuff mm. yeah. so yeah. TLDR is like when you start seeing yourself getting crankier yeah when you get cranky and the deformance arise then you're like okay I'm nearly there, so I need to chill. Mm. But have other aspects of your life taken a toll as well because you prioritize handful of leaves? I won't know, but I still have a very healthy balance. I can cook my own food and I have very, very awesome relationship with my wife. So it's like... Need to validate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I think he's really spilled the tea. (laughs) So I also have friends, I think. (laughs) (laughs) If you're a fan of Heng Shuen, please like the video. 
place. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't think it has taken a toll. It's just like trade-offs. I don't see it as sacrifice. I see it as trade-offs. Like, if you want to go out with friends every night, you can't do hand for leaves. Confirm. If you want to travel the world and do a lot of things, very hard to do hand for leaves. So yeah, I think these are the trade-offs, but not sacrifice. Trade-off means what you're giving away to take on something. Sacrifice is like, oh, I give up. Yeah, trade-off seems to be very intentional. There is a sense of willingness because you know it's important. Yeah. That's something I really admire about you, actually. Even though you're very occupied, right? You always go to the gym. And then you, you still make time to hang out with uh, Angela, your wife, and then handful of these. And I don't know how you still go and meet different people every week, even though you're an introvert, and still excel at your day job. For me, it's actually quite the opposite. So sometimes the trade-off would be I might be a hermit. I just don't meet people. Uh, sometimes I can stay in my room for days and just come out for meals. She can validate because we are like housemates. For me, the yardstick would be in terms of emotion as well. Typically, I'll feel it in my body or if I'm really, really tired. So yes, when I was hospitalized, I was still working on a handful of these, but it's not compromising my health because mentally... I was still really clear. It's just physically, I cannot really walk. So if I am diagnosed with a different illness, then yeah, I would just take a break. And I would tell myself that I don't have to push myself so hard. In terms of other things, I think it's just regulating uh, energy as well as emotions. And if my negative emotions were to spill over to other people, then that's where I know sleep is affected. Mm -hmm. And then I need to relook at taking a pause and then restarting handful of these again. Mm. Yeah. Can you share a personal moment in your life where you were going through very difficult times and it was really a struggle to keep going at a pace that you were going? Yeah, I don't think it's like handful of these per se. There was a time I was working in Thailand as a management consultant. I was so tired that actually I walked into a glass wall. And that is actually the moment I knew like, Working 16 hours a day or 18 hours a day, it's not sustainable. Mm. And I think the way to look at it is to take a break and see, is that something that you really want? These are the moments like, oh, I cannot keep going at this speed. Trying to manage this, trying to manage that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. So this is going to go very personal. <laughs> Feeling the tea. I think my romantic relationship is being compromised. I have made a very rather firm decision that I think Dama is going to be what I'm, I will marry myself to. <laughs> and people might disagree, but to me, from a very logical standpoint, is when I'm doing Dama work and when I'm serving people, the, the level of value and impact that I can bring is a lot wider. It's a lot more people rather than just one person. I can choose my life partner, but I can't choose my family. So I, I still value family time a lot. I, I try to make it a point to, even though I've moved out, to meet my parents, so we go on family trips, etc. But to then make a decision to enter a romantic relationship is something that I've always held back on because I feel like if my partner is not going to be doing the same thing that I, I do, it feels like I'm being stolen away from my partner. So it's a running joke that I'm married to the Dhamma. Uh, yeah, so... It's personal in a sense because it's a decision that I've made and I feel pretty at ease now. I'm not so sure about next time. Yeah, if it makes sense. Probably people listening to this might disagree. <laughs> 
first really thank you for sharing something so personal mm-hmm. but I think it, it really boils down to what is important to you and there's no right or wrong about this whereas listeners will be like no I think maybe Dhamma would be ranked 1, 2, 3, 4 after everything else <laughs> but that's fine also but it seems to be very clear to me that for both of you Dhamma and the practice and propagation of it is ranking number one yeah number one for me like, I'm not sure about yeah I view it as like many universe there are many planets so, I, like, I feel like you balance it quite well so yeah. that's that's something I, I would never be able to do and I really respect that about you no, they, mm. they, they say that there are many balls in life right there are glass balls and there are rubber balls mm. and you must know at every point of your life like, which are the glass balls and which are the rubber balls the moment you fail to recognise that you drop the glass balls and it's gone Mm. but the rubber balls will come back they'll bounce back that's how I view the whole ecosystem the universe of relationships and all the things that you hold in your life wow that's a really good one to think about what are your glass balls and rubber balls in life? (laughs) ding 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 (laughs) we have come to an end for all the questions that we wanted to ask but I'm actually still very curious about your personal practice and your relationship with the Buddhist practice itself what is your relationship with your own suffering after encountering Buddhism for the many years that you have? Mm. First, I guess it's to define what suffering is and then the relationship with it. Uh, in, in the past, when I first started, suffering feels very gross. Why Buddhism is so pessimistic? And it feels like I have to cry and break down to define myself as I'm suffering. <laughs> But over the years, I realized also through practice that even though I don't have those breakdown, burnout moments, but I am still suffering in a very subtle form. For instance, clinging on to my views or maybe my ego or my sense of identity that I always have to do Dhamma work. All of this, unless I'm enlightened, would still constantly be a source of practice and reflection, right? Am I dissatisfied at any point in my day? So the relationship has changed to something more nurturing. I don't blame myself for feeling negative or feeling uh, certain unpleasant emotions. Yeah, and just like, oh yeah, you're, you're just work in progress. You're, you're progressing and these are the yardsticks. You're doing well and it's okay to backslide a little bit. Just put in effort in the future and it's a dance. It's a very nice dance. So I think now I can say I'm in a good place I don't attach too much in the things that I do or views anymore yeah but people around me can tell me otherwise (laughs) it's like blind spots right I think the first thing that I get from you is like you seem a lot more gentle with yourself you could be very harsh to yourself in the past yeah I am still very self-critical it's something that I'm still working on yes but more gentle yeah thanks for sharing I think for me, suffering I used to want to get rid of it. I, I actually watch YouTube videos or watch movies. Sometimes I really love watching movies. Like you enter a whole new world. Mm. And that's actually pushing away suffering. Like most of us start from the angle of I, I see suffering, I want to run away from it. I want to push, I want to indulge, I want to eat a lot of ice cream or whatever <laughs> and get away from it. And even to a certain extent, working out to get rid of the stress or run away from emotions. But right now, actually, the relationship with suffering is seeing it on a smaller level. Seeing how you cling to certain views and therefore you become unhappy. Mm. And I think last time I could be angry f- with something for like maybe one week and now it is as little as like 10 minutes. I can let mm. it go. I've never seen you angry before. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I rarely get angry now. I think maybe less than twice a year kind of thing. Wow. Uh, so it, it has really improved. Why one of my Dharma friends say like, if you die tonight, mm. will that anger matter anymore? Then mm. that kind of thing strikes at you and you exit this whole suffering, self-created suffering, 
But I am a big fan of, uh, of this thing called chosen suffering. Mm-hmm. So basically, there are certain things that you do that you don't like to do, but you choose to do it. Because it's good for you and because life is going to throw at you unchosen suffering. So all of this is training yourself to reach a better state of mind so that when unchosen suffering hits you, you are ready for it. You can bounce back. Mm-hmm. But if we spend our life choosing to follow all our pleasures, then it's going to be difficult because we're not going to be prepared for that day. And that day will come when unchosen suffering like aging, sickness and death comes. Mm. Yeah. That's so true. So your chosen suffering is at the gym. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I, actually, it's not just at the gym, right? So chosen suffering comes to form of like eating well. I mean, I commute. I don't use social media. I listen to Dharma talks. And not every day you want to listen to Dharma talks. Mm. But that commute Even becomes, if you're not in the mood, you... If you're not in the mood, I will just tune in because some Dharma talks are just 10 minutes, which is mm. like super good. Or even for those people who are very busy out there, 3 minutes. Mm. Yeah. Dharma talks the org. Yes, very good. Oh, you can listen to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you don't like to meditate, right? Don't tell me every day you... you... No, no, of course. <laughs> yeah. There will be times where you feel like, ah, oh, why? Correct. And that's the chosen suffering that we all try to do every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. So choose your suffering well so that you're training yourself, you're cultivating your mind to have that sense of resilience that when life throws you lemons and unchosen sufferings, you're able to back into that strength to overcome it. And with that, I think we've come to the end of the episode. So thank you for sharing Kaising and Chen. And thank you listeners for staying till the end. If you like this episode, comment and let us know if you want to see more of these kind of videos. If you haven't subscribed, please do so now. It would really help us to increase the reach and also the algorithm. Every time you subscribe, we can reach 10 more people. That's just amazing. So just help us subscribe and make someone's day. You never know. Thank you. And may you stay happy and And wise. wise.